Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Dustin, thank you for leading us this evening in worship. And for those of you that are watching at home this morning in worship, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your copy of Scripture, turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to read from that passage in just a few minutes. I want to set the sermon up before we read the text. Um, I'll let you know a little bit where we're going. We finished up our Advent series, working through Advent from the Gospels, and Pastor Tad preached two really good sermons. I really like the one on naps and snacks. I can nap with the best of them. So that just gave me liberty to be able to tell my wife, hey, I heard from the sermon today that I I can take a nap. And his message on doubt was encouraging. And so tonight what we're going to do, this morning what we're going to do is look at a standalone text, uh, Philippians chapter 4, dealing with the subject of anxiety and worry. And then we're going to come back and over the next several months we're going to work through the book of 1 Timothy. I feel impressed that we as a congregation need to think deeply about doctrine, who we are, what matters in the life of our church and our community. And so we're going to do so looking at that wonderful pastoral epistle uh, from Paul to his protege, uh, Timothy, as Timothy uh, led that church or was responsible to oversee the church in Ephesus. So I would encourage you, if you'd like to get ahead and think about some of the texts we're going to look at, open up your copy of Scripture in the next week or so, read through the letter to 1 Timothy, uh, and we'll work on that next week. Why anxiety? Well, man, we are dealing with a very anxious age, and we are a very anxious people. The last two years have, uh, have taught us that. We've, we've reveled in some of our worries and anxieties, unfortunately, over the last several years. And, and I, we can actually trace that all the way back to a gentleman by the name of Samuel Morse. Many of you will know Morse as the, 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 the one who invented the Morse code. Samuel Morse invented that code. And it is said that when he, uh, when he, that first test of the Morse code between Baltimore, Maryland and Washington, D.C., he sent that transmission, that electronic communication, where in an immediate format, somebody in Baltimore could communicate with somebody in Washington, D.C. The question was asked, what would the person in Baltimore have to say to the person in Washington, D.C.? And thus entered into human experience electronic communication. 200 or so years later, here's what that means for us. In the matter of just a couple of clicks on a smartphone, you and I can discover what catastrophe Tragedy, difficulty, concern, or worry is going on not just between here in North Wilkesboro or between here in Raleigh, but we can find out what's going on in Washington, D.C., what's going on in Kentucky, what's going on in Florida, what's going on in California, what's going on in China, what's going on in Russia. And what that has done is it has elevated the concerns and the things that are in our mind. We live in an information overload age. Uh, Enter social media. 
Social media is that platform where those who used to not have a place to opine and argue and talk. Back in the day when Facebook came out, I say back in the day, it was like the early 2000s. One of the things that we reflected on with folks on Facebook was that it gave people a platform that hadn't earned a right to have a platform. It used to be before you'd write a book, you had to get an editor and it had to go through a process and be vetted. And Facebook's giving everybody the opportunity to say whatever they want, whatever's on their mind, whenever it is on their mind, whether or not that, that message has been approved or valued or ascertained or, 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 or vetted in any fashion whatsoever. So you have social media. On top of that with social media, social media has created this, not only this immediate opportunity to know things, but this immediate opportunity to get someone's opinion about anything that we post. We know in in just a few minutes whether or not our picture was liked, or whether or not our comment was approved, or whether or not we started an argument. And for the fun, you can go post a controversial item and just see how many people are going to disagree with you. And that creates a whole other sense or opportunity for anxiety. Now, many of us didn't grow up in the social media age. That developed as we were adults. But many of the children and teenagers that are living in our culture today, social media has always been a part of their lives. And it's created a whole new sense of anxieties going on in the world. By 2014, 80% of high school students said they used a social media platform on a daily basis, with 24% of them saying they were online almost constantly. Did you know that teens, teenagers, in an online study or a survey within teenagers, both in the UK and the United States, teenagers blame Instagram for... Uh, increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. This was a reaction that was unprompted and consisted, uh, consistent across all groups. How about this statistic? Girls who use social media heavily are about two or three times more likely to say that they are depressed than girls who use it lightly or not at all. Why is that? Because every time you put yourself out there on social media, there's an opportunity for someone to say, your picture is not... Now, we don't like your picture. It's ugly or you're fat or whatever it is. And what does that do? That creates a sense of I'm not worth the comments that I'm getting. It's a constant opportunity for people to critique. And it adds to anxiety. A parental social media watchdog app called Bark noticed this in 2021. It noticed that there was a 25% increase in self-harm and suicide alerts among young people between the ages of 12 and 18. The the app, the Watchdog app, essentially monitors social media comments. And it looks for statements about self-harm, suicide, uh, anger, frustration, and it draws attention to those. And those increased in 2021. Well, why do you think they increased? Well, because more people were online, more students were on social media platforms, more students were at home, they were doing remote learning and remote school, and all of the challenges of the pandemic elevated the level of anxiety. How about this? More than 43%, get this, according to Bark, more than 43% of teenagers, young teenagers, and nearly 75% of all teenagers were involved in in conversations or situations that involved self-harm or suicide. Now, that doesn't mean they were contemplating it, but they were involved in a conversation. 75% 
of all teenagers. This report also indicated that the second leading cause of death for people between ages 10 and 24 in 2021 was suicide with 6,600 suicides in that age group. Folks, anxiety and worry and frustration is a very real thing in today's culture. In an internal conversation with Facebook, one of the mental health experts in an internal presentation said this, parents can't understand and don't know how to help because today's parents came of age in a time before smartphones and social media. Social media has fundamentally changed the landscape of adolescence. What does that mean? If you're a parent of a teenager, a parent of a child, let me offer some very practical advice before we get into the scriptural prescriptions, okay? For starters, let me say this. Parents, you need to be informed. If your child has a smartphone or has a computer, you need to know what apps they're on. It's not nosy. You're the parent. You're the one in charge. You need to know what's going on. Get informed. Read books like The Coddling of the American Mind by uh, Jonathan Haidt or iGen by Gene Twenge. They, they, what they do is they help us reference some of the challenges and changes that have come about based on social media in today's age. Look up statistics on your own. These statistics didn't take me long to find. It's not hard to discover what's going on with students and teenagers and adults. Uh, Pay attention to the time that your kids are on screens. Set up boundaries. Let me remind you parents, regardless of how old your child is, teenager, 5-year-old, 18-year-old, 24-year-old, parents, it is not your job to be liked by your kids. It is your job to be the parent of your kids. You know what? If they hate the fact that you have put limitations and boundaries on their social media, okay, If you protect them from anxiety and depression and maybe even worse things because you are monitoring and knowing what's going on in their lives, isn't that a form of protection and care and parenting? Tell you something, moms and dads, we need to know what's going on with our kids. It's just a piece of practical advice to you as parents. Adults, we need to be aware of this too. This is not just a statistical conversation or a statistical introduction to a message about anxiety and worry. I've had conversations with pastors, with young pastors, with older pastors, with church members. Anxiety, worry, fear, depression is a very real thing. It's going on among people within our congregation outside of our congregation, friends, neighbors, fellow pastors. It's going on all over the place. The level of concern and anxiety has elevated and what are we to do about it? Let me say something. What this sermon is not. This sermon, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not here, uh, when, I, when I give you biblical advice, I'm not telling you that you, put, uh, put, you need to put into practice biblical advice and ignore your doctor. If your doctor has told you you need to see a psychologist or you're seeing counseling or you're in counseling or you're on medication, I'm not here to tell you to stop doing any of those things. I think that mental health, spiritual health, psychological health oftentimes is a holistic approach. So please don't listen to this sermon and say, I'm going to go out and ignore what my medical professional has said. What I do want to tell you is that many of us need to recognize that the anxiety and the worry and the fears that permeate our lives are not only a psychological issue, oftentimes they're a spiritual issue. And what the Bible tells us is it offers us some gospel prescriptions for dealing with worry and anxiety in our day-to-day lives. 
Paul deals with it in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. This is not new. This is an old statement, 2,000 years old or nearly 2,000 years old. But it is just as relevant for us as followers of Jesus today as it ever was for the Philippian church nearly 2,000 years ago. Read what Paul says. uh, Philippians 4 verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The reason I, I I read that first part is because the issue of anxiety and frustration is not just an, in, an, an, an internal issue. Oftentimes it results in external problems and challenges. Disagreements, frustrations, anger. I know for a fact in my own life. Folks, when I'm anxious and worried, do you know who I take it out on? Of course you do, because you know who you take it out on. You know who your spouse takes it out on when they're anxious and worried. We take it out on the people we love. We create further anxieties and disagreements and interpersonal conflicts when we're buried under anxiety and worry and fear and fretting. So Paul writes, after addressing the conflict in the church, notice what he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There are three biblical prescriptions for anxiety in this passage of Scripture. And there are three imperatives. The first imperative is rejoice. The second imperative is don't be anxious. The third imperative in the text is think on these things. And we're going to draw three biblical prescriptions from this text. And and why do we need to do this? Because folks, here's the tendency. The reason we get anxious, the reason we get frustrated, the reason we live in worry is because we have it in ourselves that we're trying to control things. Sometimes you and I think, if I can just get a measure of control over my home, over my house, over my job, the level of cleanliness in my house, the level of clutter that's there, or or if I can get control over this person that I'm dealing with, or if I can get control over a virus, if I can stop getting a virus, if I can do anything, if I can have control, then I can stop a measure of anxiety and worry in my life. The problem is that's a flawed perspective of human reality. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, he wrote this, he was asked about this at the, at the turn of, the, of World War II. In World War II, it was very commonplace for churches to gather and pray against the war or pray for peace. And you know what? Over the last two years, you know what we've prayed for? God, will you end COVID? Will you stop this, this disease that is running through our lives? Will you end it? Because if we could see an end to the cause, the potential cause for our anxiety and worry, then guess what? We, we would be at ease, or at least that was what was going on. Lloyd-Jones put it this way. He says, what control do you really have over your own life? You had not control over the beginning and you will have no control over the end. Had we a right to peace? When asked about whether we should pray for peace in World War II, do we deserve peace? 
Were we justified in asking God to preserve peace and to grant peace? How about this question? What if war has come because we are not fit for peace because we do not deserve peace? Folks, one of the things that we need to grasp as we take a, an inventory of our own tendency toward worry and anxiety is ask ourselves the question, do we just want the circumstances in our life to appear peaceful so that we won't be out of sorts? Or do we really trust the God who is absolutely in control? What if all the disruption over the last two years of our lives, certainly God didn't cause it, but what if He's really in control? What if He rules? Folks, He does rule. He absolutely is in control, whether we're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And I'm not saying don't wear masks. I wore masks. I still wear masks. But I can't stop a virus in its tracks. I can't change the course of circumstances in life. And what I'm telling you and what I think Scripture leads us to do is to have a big view of God and a small view of our own sense of control. And the bigger view of God that we have and the smaller sense of control that we have in our lives, the easier it is for us to put in practice the biblical prescriptions for anxiety. Why? Because Paul's going to tell us to do three things. First, he's going to tell us to rejoice. And I think it's fascinating that that happens after there was this internal tension in the church. Seneca and Euodia were arguing about something. They were fighting about that. And Paul's advice after that, agree, and then he says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known unto all the Lord is at hand. In other words, what he says is, we have bigger things to think about than our internal or our external disagreements. And he says, we need to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, what in the world do we have rejoice in? We've had a snowstorm and we've missed gathered worship experiences. And, and you know what? We've had COVID and my life has completely changed since COVID. I used to hate masks and now I'm kind of used to masks. I don't have to put makeup on. Well, I never had to put makeup on, but that's, that's another sermon for another day. My point being, all of these things have disrupted us. What do we have to rejoice in? Can I remind you that when Paul wrote this, he was in a jail cell? Paul told the Philippian church to rejoice regardless of the circumstances they were in because, folks, we have much to rejoice about regardless of the circumstances that come our way. COVID or not COVID, cancer or not cancer, heart disease or not heart disease, disaster or not disaster. Folks, let me tell you, we have things to rejoice in. God, in His great mercy and abundant kindness, looked down on us in our pitiful estate and said, I want to save you. And He sent Jesus to be our Savior and our Redeemer. And you know what? A virus can't take away your salvation. Cancer can't take away your forgiveness. Nothing in life can take away the cleansing that God has brought to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. We have much to rejoice about. And privately, personally, daily, we ought to rejoice in the Lord. But you know where we get this the best? This is a church conversation. Paul isn't just saying to the church, go home, get in a quiet time and rejoice in the Lord. He is telling them to rejoice together. To celebrate and worship together. And there are times, folks, that one of the greatest encouragements to us as a body of believers is together with other believers and rejoice in the Lord together. Now I'm going to speak to some of you that are worshiping from home. I realize, listen, I worshiped from home the last two weeks. I get it. I understand. There's a convenience to it and sometimes there's an absolute necessity to it. 
But I want to tell you, one of the best things you can do for your soul is to gather together and worship with us as a body of believers. The work that Eddie and Mike have done over the last year and now Dustin helping us with leading worship. The work that Gary has done over the last year in, in giving us an online format and, and running slides and, and setting up our worship services. And now Tim is doing the work that our praise team has done together and lead us in community worship and praise. You know what that's all about? It is about us hearing one another gather and it doesn't matter what circumstances we bring into our gathered worship experience when we're here and when we're singing and when we're praising and when we're talking about God's mercy being more and singing about that and we're singing about rock of ages cleft for me the one who hides us in himself when I hear you sing that and you hear me sing that you know what that does that helps us to rejoice we have much to rejoice in. We have much to rejoice in the Lord. And it's not accidental that's happened in, a, in an area or in a context of conflict. Because here's what happens. When I'm at odds with you or you're at odds with me, it's really hard for me to rejoice in the Lord. Because I'm so focused on what that person has done that's hurt my feelings or what that person has done that, is, that has broken my, my heart or what that person has done that has caused a division. And a lot of times those divisions are, are small. Sometimes they're not small. Any division that would happen in the body of Christ is something that needs to be dealt with. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. This strikes at what, what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. If you find that you're at odds with somebody and you can't rejoice in the Lord because there is a conflict between you and another person, Jesus said, leave your offering there at the altar. Go fix what's wrong so that you can worship God appropriately. Some of the reason why some of us can't rejoice in the Lord is because we've never forgiven that person. We've never gone and sat down with that person we're at odds with. We've never tried to make right a wrong or, or tried to come up with what kind of peaceful solution there is. And I'm going to encourage you, if you want to deal with the anxieties in your life, the worries, the place to start is to rejoice in the Lord. And if there's something keeping you from rejoicing, agree. Find a way to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because if we will rejoice, it is the starting point for dealing with anxieties in our life. Secondly, not just rejoice in the Lord, but pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Pray to Him. Seek Him. Bring your concerns before Him. Notice what Paul then goes on to say. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. That's the imperative. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's our memory verse. In everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Now, now get this. Paul makes it an imperative statement. He says, do not be anxious. If you're watching at home and you're anxious, you're in sin. I'm just going to say it, say it out loud. Scripture is clear that if we reside and remain in our anxiety and worry, we are residing and remaining in an attitude and in a choice that is not pleasing to God. Because it says that we're in control, that we're trying to fix things. Paul says, do not be anxious. But how do we not be anxious? And so if I were to tell you, don't worry, don't be anxious, some of you would look at me like I had three heads. How in the world can I stop being anxious and worried? Well, remember, the first prescription is rejoice in the Lord. Then Paul says the second thing is, if you're not going to be worried, if you're not going to be anxious, pray. And he gives us some indications how we're to pray. 
in everything. Pray. That's a general prayer. Folks, if you're praying, it's really hard to worry. At the outset, it's kind of difficult sometimes to pray and worry and, and you're worried and, and so that your worries kind of drive your prayers. But the longer you pray, the more faithfully you pray, truly pray, talking to God in a general sense, guess what? It helps drive those worries away. By prayer, with supplication, so that prayer is the general way to pray, praying about anything, Supplication is the specific way to pray, mainly about someone else. Let me me encourage you to do this. If you're anxious about something, don't pray about your anxiety. Pray about somebody else's anxiety. Supplication is you taking someone else's need before the Lord. You know what God will do? If you are constantly focused on the anxieties, the worries, the fears, the frets, the circumstances of somebody else, and you are bringing those before Him in prayer, you know what God will do? He will give you some peace that you didn't know was possible. Do you know why? Let me ask it this way. What if your prayers for someone else were the key to their victory over anxiety? What if the key to your victory over anxiety... Were someone else's prayers for you. Paul says, in everything, by prayer and with supplications. In other words, general prayers for anything and everything. Specific prayers for those that are struggling. Pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. With thanksgiving. Now Paul isn't saying that we're to be thankful for everything. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying to be thankful for The sickness, the disease, the circumstances, the trouble, the the wrong things that have happened to you. He's not saying be thankful for those things. He's saying be thankful in all those things. Because none of those things, as he already wrote in the book of Romans, none of those things separate us from the love of God. COVID can't separate you from the love of God. Anxieties, fears, worries, doubts, heart disease, death, demons, anything going on in the world, the political division that's going on in our country, none of that can separate us from the love of God. Meaning that even in the circumstance that causes sometimes our frustration, and remember Paul's in prison when he's asking the church, writing to the church to pray this way, he is praying with thankfulness in all circumstances because God is with him in all circumstances. Pray with a sense of thankfulness regardless of what's going on. And we ought to be doing that on a regular basis. Pray to the Lord. I love what Pastor Tad said last week. He made a a really insightful connection. Because if we're not careful, then what you're going to hear me say in this moment is, Pastor's telling me I need to pray longer, I need to pray better, I need to pray harder. And last week in in Tad's sermon, one of the things he noted is that the prophets of Baal were the ones that cried louder and cried longer and cried harder and prayed longer. And guess what? Nothing in the world happened when they did that. Don't hear me say that it's the amount or the number of prayers or the consistency of your prayers. Do you know what it is? It's the person you're praying to. Elijah bowed on his knees and prayed to the God of heaven. And the God of heaven intervened and sent fire down in that moment that Pastor Tad referenced. Here's the reality. What matters is not how well you pray. And not how long you pray. And not how fervently you pray. Although the longer you pray, the more fervently you pray, the more consistently you pray, it really does do a work in your own soul. And it is part of what God desires and longs for us. But the key is who we're praying 
2. Do you really believe that God will answer the prayers that you've prayed? Pray to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Pray to the Lord. And then let me give you the third prescription that Paul gives us in the text. Meditate on the things of the Lord. Some of us get the first one right. I mean, we're ready to rejoice. We're here at worship service. We're going to sing. We're going to praise. We get that. And we even do that at home. And many of us bring our burdens and we pray. And we take those burdens to our altar at home or altar at church and we pray. And we bring them to the Lord. And then we find ourselves still in those moments. We are still anxious. We're still covered up by the worries that we have. This is where Paul gets really practical for a moment. And he tells us that we're to think on things that don't drive our anxieties, but we're to think on things that bring praise and glory to the Lord. Notice what he says. Whatsoever, verse 8, get this, whatsoever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And the imperative there is think on these things. In other words, what Paul is saying is instead of dwelling on all of the things that make us anxious, the virus, the news, whatever it is that drives the social media, whatever it is that's driving our anxiety, we're not to dwell on those things. We're to think on the other things, things that are true, things that are just, commendable, pure. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of what I'm talking about here. What do I mean by whatever is true? Let me give you a social media instance of whatever is not true. Let's imagine you're a 15-year-old girl and you took a picture of yourself on Instagram or for Instagram and you've spent three or four hours curating that picture, making it just what you want it to be. You post it to Instagram. And within 15 minutes, you get all sort of comments from people, maybe some positive comments from your best friends, but you get some negative comments from some people you really don't care about. And to be honest with you, they don't really care about you. They're negative and they're ugly and they're mean-spirited. And then what happens? The tendency, and this is one of the reasons Instagram is, can be a social media app that leads toward depression, what happens? That girl has put all of that time and effort into that picture that she has made known to the world through Instagram. And in those several comments that are negative, ugly, mean-spirited, or sometimes far worse than just negative, ugly, and mean-spirited, she has thought about those comments being the comments that are true. And because she thought that those are the comments that are true... What she's spending time thinking about is something that is false. What others say about you is not your identity. What others say about you, whether you look nice or don't look nice, is not what is true. What God says about you is what is true. And what we ought to spend our time thinking on and meditating on is what is true. Well, how do we know what's true? Well, I I can't tell you how you can discern what media is true. But you can know that everything that God's Word says is true. Think on what is true. How about this one? Think on what is just. It's an application for for those of us that, that may not care so much about social media, but man, we're okay to pay attention to the media. What's just? What's just in this world in which we live? For the last three or four years, all we have heard about is social justice this and social justice that. And for some of you, you watch CNN, and CNN is going to tell you what is just. And others of you, you watch Fox News, and Fox News is going to tell you what is just. 
And some of you watch Glenn Beck on The Blaze, and Glenn Beck's going to tell you what is just. Some are MSNBC folks, and they're going to tell you what is just. And if you pay any attention to the same story from those different news platforms, you might get four different ideas of what is just. And you know what? If we're not careful, we will allow the media that we take in to dictate what we think is just and right. And I'm not saying ignore all of it. What I am saying is this. Let God define what is just. Again, go back to what is absolutely certain and true and just. And he goes on to say what is lovely and what is pure and what is commendable and what is excellent. Those are the things, folks, that we ought to meditate on. Not to meditate on the fact that God took pity and grace and mercy upon you in your sinful condition. And think about what you were like before you were saved and what you're like now that God has redeemed you. Those are things worthy of us thinking on. And why do we want to think on those things, folks? We want to think on those things because there is a glorious promise in the text. When we pray about all these things, when we bring our anxieties to the Lord, when we rejoice in Him, when we follow the prescriptions of the text, get this... And the God, and God will guard your hearts and minds with a peace that passes all understanding. The word guard there is a military term for what would be a citadel or a fort. Here's what Paul is promising. Paul is promising that if we will recognize that in the gospel we have a relationship with God that is lasting beyond our temporal anxieties and worries and concerns, and if we will follow the biblical prescriptions underneath the gospel to rejoice in who God is and what He's done in us, to bring our concerns before Him in prayer with a thankful heart, and to do so in a spirit of meditation on who He is and on the right things, the text promises us in verse 9, the God of peace will be with us in verse 7 promises that we will have a peace that passes all understanding guarding us in other words God will be our defender and will help us defend our mind with a peace that passes understanding you want to know why some people some of your spiritual heroes have been able to go through all sort of circumstantial junk with a smile on their face and a pep in their step, and a consistent willingness to worship God with the gathered believers in a local church, I'm going to tell you it's because God has given them a peace that passes understanding. He has guarded them in a way that is supernatural. Why does God do that? Because God cares about you and me more so than we could ever imagine. Let me illustrate it this way. I wish I could take credit for this. I cannot. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching a sermon clip uh, from, a, from another pastor. And he was referencing that wonderful text that Dustin sang just before I preached. Psalm chapter 42. It's deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Let me illustrate what this longing and coming to God and experiencing God's protection looks like from that text. As the deer pants for water. That word pant is only used two times in the Old Testament. It's used there in Psalm 42 and another time in the book of Joel. And it carries the idea of a craving. An absolute longing. Something that that can't be let go. In other words, it is in in some sense an obsession. A focus of that deer to get that water. 
And, and, you know, we could look at that from the perspective of, you know, where, where the psalmist was writing was in the Middle East, is in the land of Israel, in the area where, where sometimes there, there's a lack of water. Water is, is a prime element in that area of the world. And maybe there were times where that, that deer needed to get to water to survive, needed to have a drink, was so thirsty that it had to have water. But there's another application there that I think sometimes we miss. When a deer pants, it's like when a dog pants. See, when, when we're hot, we sweat. And that's what effectively cools us as humans off. Well, many animals, dogs and deer, don't sweat like we do to cool off. They pant. And their panting is a form of cooling their bodies off. But when a deer pants, it's like when a dog pants or when another animal pants, they spread their scent through panting. So as they pant, all the predators within whatever smell distance that a predator can smell can smell that deer's scent and can follow after that deer and attack that deer. And so when a deer pants after water, it's not just panting after water so that its thirst can be subsided. It's panting after water so that the water can cool off the deer so it doesn't have to pant spread its scent. But also... So that as it drinks water, its scent is masked and a predator can no longer smell it and attack it. And notice the text. As the deer pants after water, so I pant after you, so I long after you. What the psalmist is telling us, he's inviting us that if we will long after God, recognizing that our protection is only in Him, from our anxieties, from our fears, from our worries, from the predators that are out there, whether it's the satanic enemies or the cultural enemies or the world system that wants to control us, that wants to guide our thinking, that wants to dismantle our spirit, that wants to damage our faith. If we will realize that God alone is our hope, our security, our citadel, Philippians chapter 4, He is our protector, He is our defender, He is the one that will hold on to us. And you know what? If we will seek Him, He will provide that for us. The question is, will we rejoice? Will you sing when you don't feel like it? Because the truth about who God is declares that you've got to sing and praise Him for what He's done for you. Instead of wallowing in your anxieties, will you pray? Will you bring that concern to the Lord? Will you intercede on the behalf of someone else? Will you do so with an attitude of thankfulness? Will you meditate on the things that God says are true and just, noble, lovely, right, commendable? I think if we follow the biblical prescriptions under the reality that God will save us through His Son, Jesus, God promises to give us the peace that we desperately, desperately need. Some of you need that at home. I mean, you're full of anxiety. Listen, Jesus came to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you of your anxieties, and to save you eternally and offer you life. Life that is peace internally, but life that is also peace externally with God. And by trusting in Jesus, you can experience that peace. I know, I was there when I was 18 years old. I didn't have the peace, and God gave me a peace that passed understanding simply by trusting in Him. If you're at home and you're not sure about your salvation, I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. If you have questions about that, reach out to us at the church. If you're here in the room and you haven't yet experienced that peace, 
I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and, and believer. If you're battling with your worries and anxieties, follow the biblical prescriptions. Come to Jesus with your concerns. Pray and trust in Him and ask Him to guard your heart and mind with a peace that passes understanding. Long for Him. Reach out to Him. He's waiting to receive you and He's waiting to comfort you with His peace. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we don't deserve the peace that You offer. We are guilty of so many sins. So much unrighteousness. So much wickedness. We're guilty, Father, of trying to control things. And because we're trying to control things, we're guilty of creating more anxieties in our own lives. Father, forgive us for that. We state by way of prayer right now that we're going to rejoice in You because Your good work of saving us is more glorious than we deserve. Father, we come to You in this moment bringing our prayers, bringing our burdens, bringing our worries bringing our fears to You, acknowledging that You are the one that can handle what we can't handle. And so we bring them to You in prayer. We bring them to You in an attitude of thankfulness, recognizing, Heavenly Father, that more times than we can count, You have already intervened in our circumstances. You have protected us, healed us, kept us, offered us peace. And so we're going to be thankful. Lord God, we come to You in this moment at least seeking to meditate and set our minds on the things that are true and good and right and lovely and pure, the gospel things that settle us and that help us to be at peace. Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Jesus who are really struggling today. I pray that you would help them to know that you're there and that you'll be their peace and their strength and their comfort. Father, I pray for those that are so filled with anxiety because they've not experienced your salvation or forgiveness. And their anxiety is uh, multiplied by the conviction they're feeling for their unrighteousness and their sinful condition. Bring them today to a place of repentance and salvation that they may experience peace with you so that they can experience the peace from you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.